Today's guest is Chris Purdy, who is CEO and founder of Receitable. And we'll be discussing creating a fintech business through innovation. I'm Tony Wood from CEO Collaborative Forum, and that's here, CEO Reflects. Chris, an incredibly warm welcome. Thank you for having me, Tony. A pleasure to, to be here and tell you a little bit more about my story and, and what we're building with Receitable. That's awesome. So tell me, first of all, a little bit about Receitable. Why did you choose this area? Um, it started off really simply, having spent a number of years working in the payment space, I realized that payments kept evolving. They kept changing to become more convenient for consumers and more secure. Mm-hmm. And yet what I realized was at the end of a transaction, nothing evolved. And a vast majority of time, we were still given a scrappy piece of paper at the end of our experience in a store. Okay. Um, as I got more into the subject itself, I realized that paper receipts were a bit of an environmental disaster. Um, to give you an idea, globally, we cut down about 50 million trees a year just to produce paper receipts. Okay. And that's before we get into the billions of litres of water that we waste and the transporting of that paper all around the world to stores. On top of that, and I had no idea about this until I got into launching this business, the vast majority aren't recyclable. So they're given a plastic coating. Um, And so for many years, I would get back from the supermarket, unpack all my different items, be left with this huge paper receipt at the bottom of the bag, and diligently put that into my paper recycling. Unbeknown to me, that got sifted out and went over to landfill or incineration. So this really began. Yeah, we should probably change it then from a paper receipt to a plastic receipt. That feels a little bit disingenuous. I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. So so what's what what's wrong with the receipts apart from that today? I mean, because I never keep mine. I mean, I keep them when it's a big purchase, but for stuff in, say, the supermarket or whatever, I, I don't keep them. I, I just recycle them. Or what am I meant to do with them now? Because they're plastic. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what we started to drill into, Tony, was really looking at the different use cases for a receipt. Now, when I talk about the, the lack of evolution um, compared to payments, the only real evolution we've had is shifting some of them to email. And that okay. arguably means we've regressed. What I mean by that is... For many, many years, you know, whether you're a, a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whether you're a banker, most people in whatever line of work they're in at some point have had to file a set of expenses. Now, if we rewind 15 years, whilst that was still a painful job, at worst, we had a stack of paper and they might have been relatively organized. We've regressed to the point where, you know, in my last role, filing my expenses was, was a whole day's job as we reconciled pieces of paper from here, 
emails from this inbox, emails from that inbox. Yeah. Print as PDF um, and then upload it again to something else. It's crazy, right? Yeah. And whilst, of course, there's, there's tools out there to make that a little bit easier these days, um, ultimately, the vast majority of those tools rely on taking a photo of a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And, and that just struck me as, as absolutely crazy in, in 2022, which was the year that we, we launched the business. So we are all about streamlining the process and making sure that when consumers do need a receipt, whether it's for a big ticket item, whether it's for filing their expenses, it's always securely stored in the same place. You can always find it when you need it. Because that sounds really neat, because I know a lot of the time I, I take photos and then I store that um, in like a banking app. But to 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 have it automatically in a place and then understanding what it is so you can search it later on. I mean, I've got a drawer full of receipts and I'm going, I really hope someone doesn't ask me to find the right receipt. I'm never going to find it. So it sounds like it's, it's a real, it's like, it's something that, that needs to happen. I mean, so you've got two aspects of this. You've obviously got the, um, the consumer who uses the receipt. You've got, um, goodness, you've got three. You've got the consumer, you've got the retailer, and you've got the banker or the banks or the payment systems that store this information. What? How are you going to convince them, starting, say, with the retailer, to, to move away from plastic receipts to, yeah. um, to, to something more digital? Well, let's start with the retailer. Um, okay. First and foremost... You know, there's not a retailer out there that doesn't have environmental targets, but doesn't want to become more sustainable in the way they operate their business. Um, and we've got a huge argument there to reduce the carbon footprint of those paper slash plastic receipts that they print every year. What I realized was beyond the environmental issue, there's a huge amount of data which is effectively locked up in an analog environment. And what I mean by that, I'm going to give you an example. If you were to walk into your local supermarket today, buy a couple of items, and you repeat that process tomorrow, same supermarket, some different items, unless you're in the loyalty scheme, but a vast majority of retailers, there's just no tracking there. You're no longer Tony Wood. You are just two anonymous people that walk into the same supermarket two days in a row. Now, what we're able to do by digitizing that experience for the consumer, tracking all of those receipts, which we link back to the bank account and to the payment card, yeah. We start to unlock some really exciting opportunities for the retailer okay, to cool. have a, okay, I can see a complete picture of all of their customers and not just those that are opted into their loyalty scheme and swipe that plastic loyalty card at the point of purchase. So we're able to offer them a huge amount of analytics and tracking of what their customers do. That's before we get into what we can then do from a loyalty point of view, cashback, rewards, offers, all of which can start to come through to the customer okay, that's good. in a single place. And that's inside their bank app, which is, of course, an app that we already have 
on their phone. Um, and that was a real breakthrough moment for the business. Um, we toyed with a lot of different ideas as to how we were actually going to get digital receipts into the hands of the consumer. Um, okay. could, we were, you, could you just quickly, yeah. Chris, talking about that, is it possible to for the other entrepreneurs and leaders who are listening to this, what was the thought process you went through when you were when you were going through those ideas? How did you take something that now seems like completely, oh, aren't we doing this, to um, I'm going to be the first person to do that? Or how, how did you get to that? Well, it, it, it's a tough one to crack. And we evaluated a number of models. And, and I won't lie, really in the early stages of the business, we went through multiple pivots of how we were going to get this into the hands of the consumer. We okay. had a very, very good idea of what we were going to need to do with our retail partners. Um, but the model of how to then get the digital receipts delivered in the most seamless way possible to you, the consumer, was the tough one. Um, and, and so to answer your question, you know, as, as, as an entrepreneur that's looking for his route to market, we toyed with building an app. Um, but we decided that we were going to sink a huge amount of resource into the building and maintaining and, and ultimately marketing of a consumer-facing app. We toyed with slightly simpler ways of building this where perhaps you were going to scan a QR code or use an NFC when you were at the checkout. <clears throat> And gradually, we we scrapped various ideas and went for what we believe is, whilst being the most ambitious, the most frictionless solution. And, and, and what we, we settled on was, if we can partner with the banks, we can tap into a pre-installed user base of everyone in the world that has a bank app on their phone. And That's our thought process... Yeah, sorry to undo. No, 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 carry on, sorry. And, and so the thought process was by integrating into the banking app yeah. that everyone already has on their phone, we weren't going to ask the consumer to change anything about their behavior. And that's the beauty of okay. what we've built, is once you've activated this within your banking app, you don't change anything about the way you go and shop. You simply walk into a store as you usually would, and you pay with your payment card, your Apple Pay, your Google Pay, whatever system you're using. And by the time you walk out of the store, that digital receipt is actually already in your banking app and available to you. It happens in so, almost real time. That's amazing. So you're... you're so in the thought process, you're trying to reduce the friction for for the consumer, but also then not being afraid to to change your mind. A lot of people find that quite difficult, but it sounds like you got through went through a lot of iterations because <clears throat> if something doesn't work, it's not about you not working. It's just hey, maybe my team or or I cannot make that work, and let's get the thing that we know we can work. We can like launch this business on because those first couple of years are always a tricky time, aren't they? So, how, absolutely. How did, yeah. 
Sorry, after you. No, sorry, so I mean to to just to sort of yeah, complete please. the picture there on that thought process. Um, there were alternatives to to the route we've gone down that were going to be less capital intensive in terms of build. We were going to get to market quicker through through some of these other routes. Okay, and we had to be really steadfast and hold really strong in this complete belief that if we didn't make this as simple as possible for a consumer, it was never going to catch on. It was never going to become mass market. And we were staring down a barrel of potentially building something that became quite niche. We could have built something that was, that was maybe a great expenses management tool. Well, ultimately, we were going after a very small market. And by sticking to our guns and saying, no, pairing retail and banks makes sense for everyone, makes sense for everyone because a consumer doesn't have to change anything about their behavior. And, and frankly, um, changing consumer behavior is for people that are way more talented and, and intelligent than me. I'm not going to try and do that. But what we can do is is make something that's, that's so simple that it just becomes a no-brainer to, to turn this feature on once in your bank app and then go out and use it, whether it is for your expenses, whether it's for your gift receipts, whether it's to get better offers and loyalty from retailers, whatever you want to do, there's effectively something for every kind of banking customer and every kind of retailer in what we're building. So, So that's... I mean, you said that you got the, the the retailer and banking. I mean, how is it going to affect banking? It sounds like this is going to make um, quite an interesting change. Our observation um, was that banking was becoming very, very fragmented in terms of the way that a customer interacts with their bank and, and with that banking app on their phone. You know, we've seen the emergence, particularly in in Europe and more developed markets, of neobanks and, and digital-first banks. And we've seen the more traditional players, the more legacy banks, having to play real catch-up uh, with some of those digital-first banks that have been able to build their tech stack from scratch and build their apps from scratch and do all kinds of amazing things. I've been in meetings over the last couple of months where you know, Monzo has, has become a verb for, for, for some of the traditional banks. It's you know the, the Monzoization of our banking app, um, or we're going to Monzo this feature within our app. The point I'm coming to is whether you're a digital first bank that's only been around for a couple of years or a traditional player with a huge market share that's been around for over 50 years, grabbing the attention of your customer, having them come into your banking app, which these days is your prime real estate, that is your prime communication channel with your customer. With what we're doing, we're able to bring the customer 
back into the banking app on a much more frequent basis. Mm. And it goes beyond getting rid of paper receipts. We're actually changing the way that a customer interacts with their bank through the channel of the way they interact with retailers. That's really interesting because um, what you were talking about with um, people using their bank as a verb, I've heard that with, say, Crew Bank, you know, I'll crew it to you and, you know, to send the money. Um, and those sorts of things are really that the banking app is starting to become a destination for people rather than, oh, what are my payments? And they're starting to use it more and more as people add more and more features to it. So that's really interesting. So it seems that you just on the cusp of this this change of mindset. So Chris, um, you said that you were building a team from scratch. How do you choose your team? I mean, how do you go about choosing the right people? Um, to start with, I've been exceptionally lucky to bring in the, the team members that we have today. We're a young, fledgling team. Um, and there's a wealth of experience. And what I really look for as, as we're building out this early stage team mm -hmm. is lots of different levels of experience. Having people that have already worked with banks and with huge corporates versus people that have come from, you know, much more startup environments and, and not necessarily working with with huge corporate integrations and, and huge degrees of security. I think that, that brings a real blend and balance to the team. Um, there's a recurring theme through all of them, and that is a great degree of that motivation to keep learning and keep improving, that inquisitiveness looking for the solution or the shortcut as to how we can get something done in the simplest possible way to move as fast as possible, but of course, still maintain all of the compliance and security aspects that we need to take in when you're working on a project as ambitious as this, it touches so many third parties. Um, I think it's fair to say that everyone in the team has got this huge passion for what we're doing. And that's from a from a sustainability perspective, but but also uh, I think just this shared belief that what we're doing is the most ambitious way to go about it, but the one that has the greatest appeal to the biggest possible market. Uh, I think a final um point on that one and um, so, you know we talk about how do you go about building yeah. the team it's a really really old paradigm but it's all about not being the smartest person in the room and just surrounding yourself with people that are so much smarter than you that absolutely own their domain and fill in all of those gaps around you as a CEO and just recruiting people that can do one or in startup environments, sometimes just two or three different jobs that I, Chris Purdy, absolutely can't do. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. We we had a podcast earlier on by Stoyan 
about culture and it seems that this is a key aspect for any entrepreneur who's who's starting their business is to make sure they craft that that great set of you know we can do anything but also you're taken care of and you're listened to and i think it sounds like you got you got that right mix of culture because you know companies that succeed one of the key aspects would be that culture now we get a lot of uh, entrepreneurs leaders who listen to this podcast and one of the things that we like to do is the kind of final bit of advice for them um so what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are starting a a fintech um business what what advice would you give them what wisdom chris so i'm going to lean on uh one of the first books that I read when I embarked on on this journey. Okay. Um, a modern business classic, um, which I have right here. Um, I just want to read Hoffman's first books and one of the very early chapters, if not the first chapter. It's a chapter called Getting to Know. Okay. Um, I'd spent... 15 plus years in commercial roles where everything was about getting to yes. Okay. Not getting an immediate yes was felt like such a failure. And I really quickly realized that we were never going to be able to build this business and reach any kind of product market fit unless we started getting the nose. And so how do you get to know? You get out there and you speak to as many people as you possibly can. Um, you know, we started really early doors, getting out and going and talking to banks and retailers, card networks, everyone within payments infrastructure. And we had no product, no revenue, a very skinny team. We had absolutely nothing to sell them. But what it allowed us to do really, really early days was talk to a lot of industry experts okay. and extremely knowledgeable people and explain what we were trying to do and be told, no, that's not going to work. It's not going to work because of that. Or I don't think you'll get there because of that. And so we harvested hundreds of no's of why what we're building wasn't going to work. And it allowed us to gradually refine um, exactly how we were going to take this to market. I think what I'd add to that is... There will be no's from companies that aren't willing to take the plunge. And that doesn't mean that their competitor or a similar company in a, in a different market isn't going to say yes. Getting all of those no's down, I think it builds your resilience. It refines your product really early doors. Um, there is nothing worse as a startup than hunkering down in four walls and spending six to nine months building what you think is the most amazing product in the world and then getting out of those four walls 
a cross in your fingers that everyone's going to say yes and you, you build a perfect product. It, it just, just doesn't work like that. So we got out there really early um, in all corners of the world. Um, and I think, you know, certain people looked at me and said, wow, you're really getting out there a lot for a company that doesn't have a product yet. Um, but we knew it was the right thing to do. And, and, and that's that has arguably got us where we are today. Um, 12 months later, we're gearing up to launch of our first bank. Um, and it's all because we got a lot of no's. I love it. Chris, thank you so much. That's some really good advice there. And, and I really want to thank you for spending the time today and, and sharing your knowledge around fintech and starting businesses. So, Chris, thank you so much. Tony, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.